All right, if you have your Bibles, um, you can find your way to Acts chapter 10. Where we finally have, have made our way into Acts, this, this series we've been calling Meet Jesus as we looked through G, the accounts of Jesus' interaction with people um, through Luke's gospel. And now we're, we're looking at, at the, the sermons or early defenses of Jesus in um, the, the book of Acts. So we're basically looking at what Luke has given us about who Jesus is. And we're, we're doing that purposely because after this summer, we're, we're going to start in the fall, we're going to start um, about a 40-week walk through the book of Romans. And so we want to, before we get into the depth and the doctrine that, that Paul gives us in Romans, we want to see who Jesus is, see who his interactions with the people, how he interacted with those people. And then what did those first Christians, how did they defend that, that faith as it was growing and expanding? And so that's what we're doing. We're, we find ourselves in Luke chapter 10. Um, I just want to read it first, the passage, we're going to read it first and then kind of get into it a little quicker today than we are. So if you look with me at Luke, I mean, excuse me, Acts chapter 10, verse 34, we're going to read verse 34 through um, 43. So in Acts 10, 34, it says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, bringing, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, and with power he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all of the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. If you will, just pray with me again as we ask the Spirit to, to guide us through our time today. Father God, we, we come, God, and I just, I acknowledge first that, God, that I am incapable of proclaiming the truth apart from your Spirit's work in my life. God, I just pray that as we open your truth, God, we we look at the words that you have given us. They are powerful. And I just pray that your spirit would apply them to each of our hearts so that our lives would be changed and so that people might see your work so that we could point people to you and bring you glory, expand your kingdom for your greatness, God. And I just pray that today we would submit ourselves to you, that your truth would impact us. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And, and I wanted to get to this passage. I wanted to read it earlier because uh, to, to read it first, kind of understand what we're doing. When we look at this passage here in Acts chapter 10, it's, it's really the most important passage in the book of Acts. It's repeated multiple times, and it's, it's the most important because we're looking at the fact today that it's talking about that Jesus for all people. The, the, this is the passage where the gospel now goes to the Gentiles. 
Okay, we've been looking at this, and this is that first point. Then we get the context. Peter's talking to Cornelius, who was a Roman soldier, but he believed. And so he had had a vision. He'd sent for Peter, Peter in Joppa. And, and Peter had had his vision of the, the sheep being laid down and God saying, don't call what I've said is clean, unclean. And he had this vision. He goes to Cornelius. And this is what he gives to Cornelius and his household. And so this is the first time we see the gospel is going to all people. It's, and so that's why it's, in, it's incredibly important because we're the recipient of this message. If, if Without the gospel going to the Gentiles, we have nothing to believe because we're not Jews. We're not of the nation of Israel. And so it's, a, it's the most important passage. It's the one where the gospel then expands and goes everywhere from this point. And, and the rest of the book of Acts is kind of that accelerated point from this one catalyst where Peter now tells Cornelius and his household, here's the message of the gospel. And it's for all people. And, and it's interesting for it's all people because if we look at that, there's all sorts of other verses that don't apply apart from this. You look at it, just a quick look at it in, in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is a great chapter where it's talking about the faith, and then it's kind of the, the great roll call of faith, right? By faith, all these people. But if you look at Hebrews 11:6, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We, the writer of Hebrews couldn't say whoever apart from what we're talking about today because the whoever wouldn't be outside of the nation of Israel. And so it's incredibly important that, that whoever believes that he exists, that whoever seeks after him now is able to come to him. And that's what's amazing about Hebrews 11. We're talking about faith because it's whoever has faith and believes that God exists. If whoever has faith and seeks after him, that's who he rewards. And we realize this because all people, all people seek something, right? Do you, you, all people are looking for something. That's just, our, our life is marked by that. We're looking for something. Most oftentimes it's fulfillment or satisfaction or meaning. We're, we're looking for meaning. We want to know what, what life is about. And we all seek. But what's amazing is when we look at that in relation to the Hebrews 11, in relation to the Acts chapter 10 that we're looking at today, is that the search is over. Because that's what we're talking about here, is those searching, those longing for satisfaction or comfort or fulfillment, success, identity, those are all found in Christ. He's the end of that search that, that we don't have to seek after anything for ourselves, that we don't have to seek to find because it's found in Christ. And so, without this passage today, it wouldn't be Jesus for all people. It would be Jesus for the nation of Israel. And that's how they still think it. They've completely missed that. And, and, and oftentimes we do. So today, as we look at this passage, kind of get into the, the depth of it, I want to kind of look at what then do we gain in Jesus? Why is he the end of our search, or what do we get when we acknowledge that he is the end of our search? Because that's what we want to know, right? We're, we're all marketed enough, right? You, you, see the, you see commercials, you see everything there is, there's ads now, right? It doesn't matter what you do, there's ads. Now there's ads on cars. I had a friend that had his whole truck wrapped in a, in a decal, that, and that's what he did. He made money off that, and I'm like, that's kind of brilliant, but at the same time, it's kind of annoying, because why do you want to be sitting next to his truck at a stoplight and having to read their stuff, right? We're all marketed so we're, we're all automatically 
tuned to see what do we get out of this or what am I going to get when I go to there. And so that's what I want to look at as far as when Jesus is for all people, how, do, how does that affect us? What does that mean in our lives? And the first thing we see in this passage is that we have peace through Jesus. Look at these first two verses real quick again, 34 and 35. So Peter opened his mouth and said, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him. And so what we look at that first, we see that there's no partiality. Remember, Peter just had his vision. He, he didn't understand it first. He's sitting up on the rooftop, and, and he has this vision. God, there's all these animals, and, he said, and God tells him, don't, don't say what I've said, clean is unclean. And so he gets it. He, he understands it. For once, Peter kind of gets it from the first part, and then he goes to Cornelius. And so when he opens his mouth, this is what's happening. Cornelius has said four days ago, I got this visit, and you can look through that context, and now Peter, this is his thing. So he opens his mouth, and it's so amazing that the first thing he says is that I truly understand that God shows no partiality. Right from the start, it's, there's no partiality. No one is separate, but in reality, that's exactly what we do, right? Isn't it? Don't we, don't we naturally show partiality to people based on our perceptions of them? I do. I'm hoping I'm not the only one. You do, right? You look, you look at the store, you're walking through Walmart and you see someone, and immediately, maybe you don't act on it, but you think it, right? You're like, what in the world are they doing? Like, why would you go out of your house in that, right? Have you had that thought? I'm like, are you serious? Did you look at yourself before you left? But we immediately do that. That's just what we do. But here Peter is giving us amazing truth that God shows no partiality, that he sees us at our worst. He sees us when we walk out of our house when we shouldn't and shows no partiality of every nation. It's not just Israel. That's an amazing thing. And to Cornelius, that's comfort because he wasn't part of that. He believed, but now this is affirmation of that belief. He wasn't part of that. It's not just Israel. So when Peter's saying he shows no partiality in every nation, he's now including his audience. He's saying this gospel, which was once for the Jews, is now for everyone. And that's exactly who he was, he was talking to the everyone. He was talking to the anybody because that's who Cornelius and his household was. They weren't included in that. And so when we start looking at this, it's amazing. Verse 35, um, there's, some, there's some cool insight in, in what we need to do as a Christian. It says, but in every nation, anyone, right? So anyone's included. This is Jesus for all people. Anyone who what? Who fears him and does what is right. And if you look at that on the surface, we can easily turn that into morality. Just do what's right. But, but if you, we could read that into it if he didn't say, but who fears him? And see, we have to look at that whole thing together because if not, it's just do what's right. Be a good person and you're all right. Be a good person. Be better than someone else is really how that turns out. If you're just a little bit better than someone else, then they're the ones. Just like you, you might have heard the joke that if you're getting attacked by a bear or something, you just have to outrun one person, right? That's, that's what morality leads to. It's just be better than someone else because then that can justify yourself. Right? And so it's not, though. It shows us that obedience is necessary, but obedience is only possible after fearing God. And to fear God is to have reverence for Him, to see who He is. You can't truly fear God if you don't truly know who He is. There's that reverence to Him, and that's not possible without faith. Because you go back to Hebrews 11, with faith, you have to have faith to even believe that He exists. It's a faith thing. And I've had a conversation with a friend that's, that's not a believer, and he always brings that up. It always comes back to, well, you have faith, and I don't. And I'm like, exactly. Exactly. It's faith that's given to us 
that allows us to fear God and then obey. It's not throw obedience out. It's throw obedience in as a product of saving faith out of reverent fear for God. And that gives us the ability to understand that we have peace. Look at verse 36. As for the word that was sent to Israel, so here's the gospel, preaching the good news of what? Of peace through Jesus Christ. He's Lord of all. And so what Peter just did is he said, okay, it's for every nation who fear him and do what's right. So you have this fearful reverence for God. It leads to obedience because we know, and and we do that, right? Your kids should obey because they have a reverent fear for you. They they know that you have their best interests in mind. And so you obey. And so now he's saying, no, but now it's just, it's not just to understand and be brought in, but it's that there's peace through Jesus Christ. And peace is necessary because of sin. And here's where our culture doesn't understand peace with Jesus. That's why I wanted to pull this part out, the peace aspect out, because we don't understand peace because we downplay sin. We don't understand why peace in Jesus Christ is such an amazing thing because we're not willing to take on the idea that we're sinners. But we have to understand. We have to know that you can't have the gospel apart from sin because that means there's salvation that's needed. If we didn't have sin, there's no need for saving. So peace is possible because of sin. And we have to remember that sin is a real thing. That's Romans 3. Paul tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one that's outside of that. But now we have a gospel that includes everyone in. So all that have sinned are now all that are welcome in Christ and have peace through him. Sin is detrimental to our growth. It's deadly. That's what Paul says in Romans 6, right? The wages of sin is death. So what you get from sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. There's peace with God because of Jesus. That reveals the joy of peace with God. That Jesus fought the battle that we should have been fighting. That we are at war with God. Paul says another way that that we're under the wrath of God. But now in Christ we have peace through Jesus Christ. You see, that's why it's good news. You have peace through Christ. It's not peace in just being obedient and doing the right things. It's peace in Christ alone. And that's an amazing joy if we understand. That's why it's okay to have a time of confession. Because even in our sin, there's peace through Jesus Christ. That he's fought that battle. He paid that price. And then ultimately, he's Lord of all. So there's not this somehow, that that takes out this universalistic idea that that people can somehow be saved at some point apart from Christ. This is not true. But there are people that believe that because we've so misapplied and misunderstood the idea of sin that we think that somehow we can do that on our own. And if we're just a good person, we might. But no, he is Lord of all. And when you tie that into verse 42 that we'll look at in a second, that he's not only Lord of all, but because he's Lord of all, he judges all. Because he's the Lord, it's his standard. He judges that. And so then that should bring us into this, you, you get afraid on that, but then you realize, wait, we have peace through Christ. So if we're in Christ, even though he's Lord of all, that's great because I'm in him and there's peace through Jesus. It, it just, there's no way to get out of that joy if you truly understand that you're a sinner, yet you truly understand who Jesus is. You now realize why it's good news of peace through Jesus Christ. That not only are we cast out from God, but he paid that price, that he fought the battle, that we were at war with God, yet he won that war. And so the, the simple question to ask yourself is, are you fighting that battle now? 
Are you fighting that idea? Are you, you without peace in your life? And so what you're doing is, is trying to find that in some way. And really there's, there's two ways that that happens. One, you have a, a lack of the understanding of your sin. You don't understand that you're that sinful. You might have heard about Christ. You might have submitted your life to Christ. But now you're like, well, I've been doing pretty good. And so you don't really understand your sin anymore. It's like you've graduated from that. And so when that happens, when you do that, you start forgetting that you aren't the one that has to fight that battle, and you get stuck on the cycle of doing it yourself. And if you're in that, it's exhausting. It's like you're on a treadmill and you can't ever get off. You can't reach the button to stop it, and so you just continually do that because you forget a lack of understanding of your sin that you can't even get out of that anyways. But on the other side, you have people that aren't even aware that you're a sinner, those are that are still outside of Christ. If you don't under, aware that you're a sinner, you're constantly going to be fighting a battle that's already been won for you in Christ. And it's just as detrimental. Both of those find themselves miserable and without hope because they've forgotten the fact that the magnitude of their sin or even that they are sinners because then there's no peace outside of that. If you don't understand that you're a sinner, then you don't understand that Christ is there to give you peace because of what he did on the cross. And that's why it's this amazing thing that you have to stop fighting. Right? Get to the point where you stop fighting and submit to him. And then all of a sudden, there's the good news of peace in Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all. It's, it's amazing that happens. And then when you look at Christ's life, you realize that there is life through Jesus. If you look at verse 37, it says, You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. That, that's a, that's a, an interesting point because Peter's saying that you know who Jesus was. You get these people, it was close enough where they lived that they knew who Jesus was. They knew who he was. He said, you know what happened. So he's saying there's good news of peace through Christ alone. He's Lord of all. You know what happened. You heard what happened. You might have witnessed his life. And so you know what happened in that after the baptism. And then he gives us this little, this little rundown of Jesus' life. How God anointed him, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. That's at the baptism, right? He was baptized, the dove came down. It's my son who I'm well pleased. He anointed him with the Spirit and with power. You look further in verse 38. He went about doing good and healing those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So he did all these. That's his ministry. He was going around, he was preaching, he was healing people, often misunderstood. Which gives us on a little side note, it's okay that if the world doesn't understand you because they didn't understand Christ, it's all right. And then what? For God was with him, verse 39, and we're all witness, witnesses of all he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, what did they do? They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Okay, so now he goes to Jerusalem. You all know that they killed him. The crucifixion wasn't this hidden thing. They did it full public view, Right? They hanged him on a tree, and then God raised him on the third day and made him appear. And so that's where we need to understand that we get life out of Christ. It says that you know, they knew Jesus. They knew of his life, his ministry, and his death. And he gives them the summary of that. This is life, his ministry, his death. You've seen that. You know that he did. And then they say that he hung on a tree, they crucified him, and then he raised on the third day. It's interesting to note, this is the only place, there's one other place of forgetting around, I think it's 1 Thessalonians, but you can check me on that. This is one of the only places outside of the gospel 
where it's mentioned that he rose on the third day. It's just a little, it's, it's, it's interesting to me when you see places like that. Like, why did he put this here? Why, why did he reference the third day? And you've got to think that he's pointing to the fact that, that he has an actual life, that, that he appeared. So he was seen, not to everyone, just to the witnesses that God had appointed. And you see over and over again in this passage that this God that's in control of all this. God was with him. God anointed him. God chose people to be witnesses of the resurrection. And it wasn't a spirit because why? We find out that they ate with him. Okay? And so all of this is talking about this bodily resurrection that gives us hope that we have life in Christ. That death isn't final. God chose some to see this, and that's okay. And he's telling Cornelius, we're one of those. It's okay that you didn't know of that, that you didn't see him because we saw him. Now we can tell you why you have life in Christ, that there is hope because he conquered the grave. But see, what happens is so often we forget that we have life in Christ, and so we fail to realize the hope that we have in that, and we get overtaken by fear. We get overtaken by fear because we then think that our life and our security and our comfort is attainable by us. And then there's at some point where you realize that that can't happen and it just overpowers you with fear. I've been, this is, it's, I was telling Lindsay yesterday, I was working through this, I'm having to preach this to myself big time right now because that's been one of the biggest things that in my life is just a fear over trying to control things. And, and I've said over and over again that, that I feel like I get stuck in this, this arrogance to think that I can take care of my family better than God can. That I somehow have to be here for them to be secure. For them to be taken care of. But it's a fear of understanding that I'm not in control. But I have hope because Christ rose from the dead. And so too often we become fearful and forget that the life that we have in Christ alone is the only one that matters. I was reading a, a book. I like to read um, some, some old books. I think I'm kind of nerdy in that sense, but I like reading the old Puritans and stuff, part of because they write better than I can. I'm not a good writer. And so when you read, if you can't write and you read stuff that's really good, you just want to keep reading it, right? And, and um, there's, a, there's a book. It, it's, it was originally published um, under the, the title was Practical Treatises on, Treatise on Fear. It was written by John Flavel in 1682. And I, I love the fact that we can go to these old authors and, and, and saints of old, that, and you can just see something. And he's talking about fear, and he says it this way. I just thought it was an amazing way to show us how to live outside of fear. He says, The sealing spirit is ready to do it for you. The sealing promises belong to you, but we lack diligence. Therefore, we go without comfort. If we would pray more, strive more, keep our hearts with stricter watch, mortifying sin more thoroughly, and walk before God more accurately, how soon would we attain this blessed assurance and in it an excellent cure for the distracting and slavish fear? And I read that and I loved it because it's, it's showing us that, that we already have that. It's the Spirit that applies that to us. That we don't have to somehow figure this out. It's the Spirit that works in our life. And if we would just give ourselves to a more diligent life of, of praying more and seeking God. And then he uses the way the Puritans explain mortifying sin, killing sin, like not giving ourselves over to our sinful desires. If we would just do that more thoroughly, more effectively, then all of a sudden the fear that we're captivated by goes away because we see who we are in Christ. That's why it's a blessed assurance 
that we have life in Christ. Because it means that fear doesn't have to distract us from the reality of who we are in God. That the fear doesn't have to enslave us as it often does. And I was reading that and looking at this passage. It's an amazing thing. That's why Easter is so amazing. That's why we should remember the resurrection more than one Sunday a year. The life in Christ is everything that we have. That's why it's important. And this, this I, I feel selfish in having this passage because I feel like it's for me. Right? Do you ever do that? You feel like it, you're, you're trying to help someone else and you get helped more? That's where I feel like I'm at right now. Because so often we, we see ourselves distracted from Christ. That all of a sudden something happens and we have to take control. And in that fear and trying to take control, we're forgetting the good news that we have life because God raised Christ on the third day. And that's comforting. We don't have to fear. We don't have to be enslaved to fear because there's nothing to fear. That's why Paul can proclaim death, where's your victory? Death, because it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have a hold on us anymore. That's why Christians throughout history have been secure in persecution because they know that there's something better, that they have life. That's why they say that the, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. Because there's something amazing when you realize and you understand and the Spirit then applies that to your life that we have life in Christ. And that's what Peter's saying here is that you've witnessed all of this. You know what's happened and Jesus rose again on the third day and we were witnesses. You didn't see it, but we saw it. We ate with him. It wasn't just something that happened in, 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 in a spiritual way. He was physically there. He ate with us. It's an amazing truth that we have life in Christ. And that should bring hope. So we're not enslaved by fear. And so we're more diligent in our life to study the truth, to pray and seek after him more thoroughly and effectively and constantly because that's the only place we have hope. And that points us to the fact that, that we also see that there's forgiveness through Jesus. Look at these last few verses. Verse 42, And he commanded us, so he's continuing with what Jesus now, commanded them to preach to the people and testify that he was the one appointed by God. See again, here it is. Christ is saying, he tells them to preach that I was appointed by God. And so it was God's plan that was happening, happening here to be the judge of the living and the dead. Remember, he's Lord of all, and he's also judge of the living and dead. And to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. All the prophets bear witness. So what he's doing there is, is taking out that, yes, there was the Jews, they're claiming the Old Testament, they would have known that. Probably Cornelius would have known that because he's, he's a believer, and so he would have been studying that, and he's saying, so all those prophets that have come are bearing witness to Christ. So they're all pointing to Christ. They're not pointing to someone else, they're pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. And so we see that in verse 42, there is a purpose in the life of a Christian. Here Peter's saying, we were commanded to preach. Our purpose is to preach that news. And that's ours as well. That's why Peter can later say, in 1 Peter 3, where he says that what? You have to give a reason for the hope you have. Yeah, that's our purpose, to live our lives seeking after Him, following Him, knowing that we have hope and peace through Christ, and that we have forgiveness in Christ. And so when people ask us why we have a hope, be ready to give a defense. And that's what it is. It's Christ. Why can you be hopeful in tragedy? Because we have Christ. 
it's not just a cliche to say Jesus is the answer. He really is. That's ours as well. That he was appointed judge. And we need to remember that. That he judged the living. So judgment happens. We, we like to not think about that, right? That, that all of a sudden then we want to we wanna love people, but we forget again the impact of sin. And that will be judged. So we'll all be judged. He will judge all people because he's the Lord of all. And the, the Lord of, of the house is the standard for everything. And so he'll judge all people in whatever they find. You're going to be found in Christ with forgiveness of your sin because he paid the price, because he gives you life, because you have peace in him, or you're going to be found outside of Christ. There's not a mid-option. It's either found in Christ or found outside of Christ. Why? Because God's appointed him to be the judge of all. But thankfully, we have forgiveness right? For everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So it's an amazing thing. Matthew Henry says that if sin be pardoned, all is well and shall end everlastingly well. If sin is pardoned, if sin's not pardoned, then then we've got problems, right? Because we're putting our hope in, in Christ. And if he didn't give us forgiveness, if there's not forgiveness of sins through his name, then that's why Scripture can say it in Christian, that Paul can say that we should be pitied. Of, right? Because our, our hope is in Christ. And if he didn't forgive our sins, then we're out of luck. But he did. And so everything shall end everlasting well, as Matthew Henry says. Why? Because we're secure. Because we know the judge paid the penalty for us. I was reading, a, you, might have, you might have read the article. I feel like Facebook is all articles now. I don't know. It's, it's like it's transitioning into all articles, and half of them are pointless. Right? And then you get the little suggestions under it. It's the same article by 70 different people. But there was this article about, um, about a judge who had sentenced a veteran. You might have seen this to like 24 hours. Like he had, he had messed up. I didn't, I didn't read all of it. I kind of skimmed because I was like, is this wasting my time? But what, what had happened is he had sentenced him 24 hours in jail, but knew he, he suffered from PTSD. And he, he thought that, that if he was in that cell alone, that would have caused a relapse and something bad would have happened. Like he would have gone somewhere else. And so what happens is the judge actually drove him to the jail and spent the night with him and stayed there with him so they could talk. The judge was a, was a veteran also, so they traded war stories. And, and, and that's exactly what we see here happening, is that, that we had to be judged. He, the judge had to sentence him. Under the law, he had to, there was a punishment that had to happen. He had to sentence him. He sentenced him to 24. Some people might say, well, he didn't really give him anything. Well, that's not for us to determine. We're not the judge. But there was a penalty it was. But then what did he do? He, he, he paid the penalty. But see, Christ takes it even further. Is that we didn't have to sit in that cell. We don't have to. He doesn't sit with us in the cell. He lets us go free, and he sat in there for us. That's forgiveness. That's true forgiveness. He doesn't say, I'll go along with you. He says, no, I'll go for you. We receive forgiveness in His name, and it only comes through His name. It's not our works, our effort, our life, our good choices. It's Christ. And that's an amazing story. And it's amazing truth in a culture that says truth isn't found. That's an amazing comfort in a society that, that says everything's okay and comfort doesn't matter anymore. It's whatever you declare it to be. 
Whatever you declare it to be is what it can be. We have forgiveness by believing in Christ's name alone. And you go back to the Hebrews 11. By faith, you believe that God exists. And that he rewards those who seek after him. And so when we seek after Christ, we gain the reward that he secured for us. And that's an amazing truth. And so what really needs to happen is that there, there's, some of you that there's some of you that have submitted your life to Christ. But, but somehow, in, in the working of life and just the, the messiness of life, you've, you, you hold yourself off. And so, if that's you, you need to lay yourself open before the Lord. You need to quit holding on to part of, I'm, I'm okay in this area. Open it all up to Him, because it's only forgiveness in Christ. And there's some of you that this applies to that are sitting there right now thinking, well, that's not me. And if you're saying that's not you, it's you more than you ever realized it. Because if we truly think that we've got it figured out, we don't have it ever. There's not this, I've got it. There's not it, you don't have it. It's in Christ that you find forgiveness. And that's why there's so many times as we, we're planting a church, we're starting a church, sometimes I, I think we have so many people that haven't had a, a solid church background, and that excites me because we have to tear away less junk to see them to God. Because so many people get caught up in that, I've got it figured out. You don't. And if that's you sitting here, then you need to do some serious work with the Lord. You need to open yourself before Him and expose that He knows those parts anyways. Part of the obedience is submitting to Him and saying, here I am. And that's, some of you, and that's something that I can't do for you. That's you and the Lord. And if you don't believe that, then you take a hard look at Scripture because it's over and over on the pages of Scripture. And some of you, you've never submitted your life to Christ. And so it's kind of, a, it's kind of the scary part, right? Because everyone else that you've ever been open and honest to has hurt you in some way. Every time you try to get close to someone, you be honest, you're honest, you open, then somehow they twist that on you and they use it against you or you're left hurting. Don't apply that to Christ because that's not who he is. That's the one place that we can be secure and find forgiveness. We can be open and understand that. You can have peace in your life through Him. So don't hold back because of what people have done because He's not that person. Because when it all comes down, when we look at this amazing passage, the most important one here, it's that the gospel is for all people. He doesn't say, fix yourself, Cornelius. It says, Here's the gospel it's for all people. You can find peace with God through Jesus Christ. You can find life because He has life. And that there's forgiveness found in His name if you just believe in Him. So you can lay open yourself. You can be honest with Him because that's where forgiveness is found. And that's what makes the gospel such an amazing thing. That's why we celebrate and we have a, a, a celebration when we see people that are baptized. Because that's an amazing thing. It's death to life, not because of anything that we did, but because of what Christ has done for you. So as we go through this week and as we finish up today, some of you might not need to sing the last song. You might just be in prayer. And just confess before the Lord. 
that, that everything in your life is going crazy and you don't know how to control it and you're trying, so you just leave it to Him. Because He's the one where we find comfort. And if we were going to continue, this may, if you keep looking in this passage, you should go home, read it today, because the very next thing is the Spirit falls on the Gentiles. It's, the very, it's like Peter stopped. He's saying you have forgiveness of sins through His name. All of a sudden, the Spirit descends on them, and there's this amazing thing that happens. That's what happens in your life. You hear the gospel message. You believe in faith because the Spirit has come into your life. And if that's you, then allow us to celebrate with you because it's an amazing truth. Because only in Christ do we find peace, forgiveness, and life and comfort that's found nowhere else. Let's pray. Father God, we... God, we thank you for your truth. God, we thank you that your words are powerful. God, that you, when you speak, things happen. God, I just pray that right now, God, that your spirit would speak into our hearts, God, that there would be change. God, that if the, the, there's people here that have heard the truth, God, I just pray that you would apply it to their lives in a new way, that they would realize that there is peace to be found in Christ alone. That, that they don't have to worry and fear of, of death, but we have life in your Son, Jesus Christ, everlasting. God, that, that apply the truth that there is forgiveness found in Christ so that we can be open before you and be secure and confident in his hands. God, if there's people that haven't ever submitted their life, they haven't heard that truth and, and submitted, God, I just pray that your spirit would bring them to life. God, that their heart would change because of your truth, because of your son's life, death, and resurrection. God, I just praise you and bring glory to you for that. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.